Welcome to the Renew Life Church podcast. No matter what situation we find ourselves facing, we know that God wants to speak clearly to us. So wherever you're listening from today, we want to thank you for being here. Grab a cup of coffee and join us as we tune in to our Sunday conversation. Good morning, Renew Life Church. Welcome to church. So glad you're here with us, whether you're joining us here in the Cole Theater or you're watching online. We're just glad you're watching. We're glad you're here, whichever's uh, your choice. Uh, we understand that there's still some of you that can't make it to services with us live, but we are, uh, we're, we're ready for you to come back. And we're ready for all of us to be back. Uh, I'm actually, as we're recording this, we're in our office. Uh, all of a sudden, I'm thinking about right next door is our new building, who we're actually fixing to make some announcements about our grand opening. We are not far away from the grand opening. So super excited about that, where we can all come back together in the new building and uh, really looking forward to that. But welcome, again, welcome. If this is your first time here, we're really glad that you're here. Glad you came to church. Uh, And I just believe this, even as we were praying right before the cameras turned on and we started recording, uh, prophetically, God is speaking to purpose today. There are people in this room, some of you, if this is the first time you've been here, I, I, specifically, I think there are some of you, this is the first time you're, you're here uh, at Renew Life Church, and I believe with all of my heart that God is speaking to you, that you are supposed to be a part of what God is doing here. You've seen it, you've felt it already, I'm just confirming what you already know, uh, you're in the right place. And so, uh, again, glad you're here, we're going to jump right in uh, to today's talk. Uh, and start off with a little bit of review out of Revelations chapter 6. Uh, last week we talked about uh, in Revelations where uh, basically Jesus himself had appeared to John in this, in this dream and, and gave him this dream. Uh, and in this dream where he said, send this message. This, this is a message for the seven churches in Asia. And it's an interesting, uh, it's an interesting prophecy. It's an interesting word because the, uh, the scripture actually says that it's twofold. It's for the churches now. So it, it was specifically for the seven churches there in Asia. But he also says it's for things to come. So in other words, it was God pr- prophesying, Jesus prophesying to write these things down because they're not only going to be beneficial for these seven churches, but for other churches that are coming. In other words, there will be a moment where as a church, individual churches, we will, we will uh, potentially be able to find ourselves in one of these letters and how God speaks to some of these churches. When God reads these le- when we read these letters hundreds of years later, thousands of years later, we'll say, you know what? The Spirit of the, the, Spirit of the Lord will waken this on the inside of you and say, hey, this is, this is for you too. This wasn't just for Thyatira or, or Laodicea or Philadelphia. No, this is for you. And, and it's an interesting concept because when the way the Lord lays this thing out uh, is he begins to reveal to us that every, every church, he, he thinks about every church individually. We know that there's the big C, <laughs> we call it the big C, the big church, the church, the body of Christ at large, all of the believers, we know about that. But there's also this concept of the little C, there's smaller churches, there's smaller representations of the body of Christ. And, and, and so he's got this letter and every, of, to all these different cities, each, each letter's different. Each letter has a different tone to it. Each letter has different uh, encouragement to it. Each letter has different correction to it. And, and one of the things that we wanted to point out last week, and I, I felt like we did, is that uh, God has specific words for our church. He has specific things that he wants our church, when I say our church, I'm talking about Renew Life Church, Renew Life Church Midland. There are things that he wants to say to us. Yeah, we we talked about this last week. It's incredible watching in this season, uh, in this COVID pandemic season, uh, how so many many churches, uh, ours included, who had never really embraced a lot of video like we're doing right now, uh, and and some churches had never done any of it whatsoever, 
And when, when everything was shut down, you had churches beginning to scramble to try to get uh, uh, teachings together or technology together and video ca- equipment together so that they could, they could get their messages to their people. And of course, the people have been doing this for a long time. There's others that have been doing it for, for, for decades now. And even the ones that have been doing it for decades, it's kind of it's unfair because some of them have millions of dollars worth of equipment. And so now we've got millions of dollars worth of equipment and 20 years of experience being compared to people that, hey, they're just trying to pastor their people. And, uh, but what's interesting about this season, two things. It, it's an incredible season to hear what God's saying to all the churches. It's, it's incredible to see how God's using different preachers, different ministers, how he's talking to different people in different cities with different scenarios, how he's talking to people in Democratic states versus people in Republican states, and how he's talking to people from the Northeast versus the South. It's just really an, an, an interesting thing there. Uh, but one of the things that I felt like the Lord showed us last week was we have to be careful that uh, we don't have this uh, like the scripture says, itching ears, where we're looking for teaching from all these different places, teaching that scratches that itch, so to speak. And, um, and that we, ha- we know, one, where has God called us? You have to know that. Where has God called you? What is the church that God has called you to? Because if you're not careful, if you don't know where God has called you to, you'll miss, o- miss out on things that he has to say. Oftentimes, the thing that God has to say to you is in the place that he has for you. Um, one of the things, this is a little bit, I guess, kind of personal, but one of the things that I've learned over the years and I've watched over the years is that, and, and I want to talk a little bit about an orphan spirit. Uh, as a pastor, especially when you start counseling people, one of the things that you discover when people have that orphan spirit, they don't know their sonship, they don't know their identity, they don't know how to separate who they are in Christ from their behavior. Oftentimes, especially when it comes to counseling, you'll get in counseling sessions with someone and they will uh, spill the beans. And for the record, most people, when they're in counseling, it's because there's a problem. There's something going on. And over the years, one of the things that I've watched, well, two things I've watched. One, I've watched where people don't want to come to counseling at all with someone that they know in their church. They don't want someone to actually know what's going on in their life. They're, they've so not separated their identity from their behavior. They don't want to be judged. That fear of man, that fear of judgment, that shame, it overwhelms them. And so instead of going to family, they'll go to an educator. Now hear me, I'm not against counseling. I'm, I, I'm not against counseling at all. But what I will say is I believe with all of my heart if the church would be the church and we would, we would preach, maybe, maybe if we could just preach identity the way it's supposed to be preached, where people began to separate themselves from who they are in Christ from what they did last night or what they did two weeks ago. If you had the ability to do that, then you could, when, when, when a mistake was made or when there was dysfunction that was revealed, instead of going just for a teaching or a teacher, you went for a father. Because there's, there's nothing that helps you... F- get rid of, I'll just say it that way, nothing gets rid of the orphan spirit like a father, like a mother. Teaching, you can't teach an orphan spirit out of someone. It has to be fathered. And sometimes when, and that's the thing we know about family. Family knows everything. Mothers and fathers, they know everything. They know the good, the bad, and the ugly. And although they may have to bring correction, the correction is just there to get you back into the place that you were born to be in the whole time. And so uh, one of the things that I've noticed over the years, people that were in counseling, they either won't come or once they do come and all of a sudden the truth comes out and it's like, oh, he still smokes weed. He's like, yeah, well, she still uses the F word. And it's like, I'm telling you, sometimes I just wish I had a gif uh, for, for some of the things that I've thought during counseling sessions. There's this one gif where this guy's like, 
I'm sorry, excuse me? Uh, how many times I've sat there in counseling sessions listening to things come, come to me where I'm like, wow, did not see that one coming. And, but my job as a pastor, our job as the body of Christ, not just my job as a pastor in that moment, it was my job, but our job in the, as the body of Christ is to be family. And so when, when, when truth gets revealed, don't bring shame. Don't, don't say, oh, thank you for that truth. Now here's some shame. Here's some guilt. Here's some condemnation. No, bring that into family. Bring, bring that truth into family and love them through. Say, hey, we're going to work through this. You're accepted, just like Jesus did with the woman caught in adultery. I don't condemn you. I, the first thing he did when, he saw, found, when they brought her to him and he was, she was in sin, I don't condemn you, but let's talk about this. Let's, let's, let's go and sin no more. This is not how you need to be living. I've just seen this over the years where people come into that, into that counseling session and they spill the beans and all of a sudden their stuff's out there. Then they leave and then all of a sudden the enemy starts whispering. That orphan spirit starts to raise its head and it's like, oh my gosh, I can't believe they know this now. Now I can't believe they know. And all of a sudden people will literally leave churches. I've watched this happen. can't tell you how many times. They'll leave churches. They'll leave the place that God has for them. Because the enemy begins to whisper that orphan spirit that, that, that you, you're, you're, not the, you're not the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. You're this. You're someone who still cusses. You're someone who still cheats. You're someone who still looks at porn. You're someone who still lies. You're, you're, you're whatever your behavior is that needs to be redeemed. I'm not justifying the behavior. But what I'm saying is there's something superior to the behavior. And it's your identity as the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. We have to know those things because there's, there's times when the Lord says, I need to talk to you, not the, the body of Christ at large. The body of Christ at large is not dealing with this. In fact, this church over here, they're not even dealing with it. I need to talk to you. I need to talk to you specifically. I need to talk to this church. That's what happened in these letters. He specifically dealt with issues that each church was dealing with. It's very important that we don't allow that orphan spirit to start whispering. And if, if, if what we're hearing is not scratching that itch, if what we're hearing doesn't sound good, that it, that it, that it scares us off if in some ways, or it offends us, or it, it causes us to leave the place that God has called us to be. From this place of understanding, I guess, is the best way to say this. Knowing that, understanding that, we read this scripture. Uh, I actually didn't, I, I just quoted it last week, but I want to read it this week in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17, starting in verse 17. Scripture says this, command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty. I'm reading from the New King James Version. One translation says, charge them that are rich in this world not to become high-minded nor to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. Let them do good, that they may be rich in good works, ready to give, willing to share, storing up for themselves a good foundation for the time to come, that they may lay hold on eternal life. Felt strongly that the Lord impressed this upon me that we have to be aware of our city. We have to be aware of what is going on in our city. And Jesus even says this. You don't even, you don't even really need a word of knowledge on this one. You just need the word of God on this one. It says, charge them, command them who are rich. And it says, it, just so you know exactly who he's talking to, in this present age. In other words, people who are rich, who have stuff, who have wealth in this present age here on earth. Charge them, command them. You could even say, warn them. <laughs> that they don't become high-minded, that they don't become haughty. One, one other translation says that, that they don't get puffed up in pride. Uh, felt very strongly that this was something that the Lord was talking to us about our city. 
that here in Midland, we, we live, uh, now granted, we know that there's booms and busts, but in general, this is a city of wealth. This city is known as a city of great wealth. We live in a wealthy city. Even the poorest of you watching are wealthier than most people on this planet. Uh, we actually are considered, and you have to understand that, we are considered the rich in some ways. And it's important that we understand what the Scripture is saying. Anywhere where there's wealth, anywhere where there's natural wealth, there's a chance for pride to exist. There's a higher chance for pride to exist. And I believe with all of my heart that that's one of the things that this city, uh, the city of Midland, this Permian Basin uh, deals with, is this stronghold of pride, this temptation to not give God the credit that he's due, to not walk in humility, to not acknowledge that everything we have doesn't come because we're so amazing, because we're so smart, because we're so disciplined, because we work so hard. Know that every good and perfect gift, it comes from above, that our Father in heaven has blessed us incredibly. And so it was kind of a strong word, if I'm just being honest with you. Uh, it, it was a strong word when you think of, we're, we're talking about our city, we're talking, and we, we want there to be, you know, Midland pride or, or whatever the appropriate kind and, and patriotism for our, our city, our, our state, our country. I get all of those things. But so, this was a hard word. This was a hard word to hear. It's like, oh, your, your city's got a stronghold of, of pride on it. But I want you to understand something, that when God brings a word like that, just because this is the word of God for our city doesn't mean it's the desire of God for the condition of our city. This may be the word that he's speaking to us now. He may want us to see, hey, I want you to be aware of something going on in your city. I want you to be aware of something that's going on potentially even in you. I want you to be aware of this. Why? Not so, just so you can say, well, this is how it is. This is how it's always going to be. No, there's actually redemption in that word. I want to read uh, a story. We, we know this story well out of the book of Jonah. Jonah chapter, well, it's just four chapters, and it tells the whole story here of Jonah and the whale. And obviously, if you know the story of Jonah and the whale, most of you probably do. Um, there's, it's, it's, the focus is a lot on Jonah. It's a lot on what Jonah did or didn't do and what God said to Jonah. Let me just, let me just read verse 1 here. Uh, it says, now the word of the Lord came to Jonah. Notice it says, now the word of the Lord, so this is the word of the Lord, came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. And we know this story. As the story goes on, Jonah disobeys God. He doesn't go where he's supposed to go. He finds himself out in the, uh, on a boat, out in the ocean. Storm comes. Everybody's like, why is there this great storm? Uh, they cast lots, and sure enough, it's Jonah. Jonah's the one that's the problem. He's the one that's got this, the anger of the Lord stirred up against them. And uh, they throw Jonah out of the boat. And it says the Lord caused a, a great fish. We say a whale uh, sometimes. But a great fish, caused a great fish to swallow Jonah. Storm stops. And oftentimes that's the focus. We, we focus on what happens when you disobey God and, and, and how he repented and all these different things. But I, I want to tell you what I think is maybe more important about this story is understanding what God was trying to accomplish in the big picture. Yeah, this particular story is about how he used Jonah and how Jonah allowed himself to be used or not allowed himself to be used. But the bigger picture is God had a city on his heart. God was thinking about a city. And this city had gone astray. This city had found itself in some wickedness that they didn't need to be a part of. And jo God asked Jonah, he said, hey, partner with me to help this city. 
partner with me to bring restoration to this city. And how you're going to partner with me is you're going to bring this strong word that says, you wicked suckers, you, in 40 days, I'm wiping you off the planet. Now, that's a strong word. That's a way stronger word than your city has a stronghold of pride. It's like, wait a minute. Now, granted, good news, Old Testament. <laughs> so we've got, that to, we've got that to lean on. But he asked Jonah, hey, partner with me in helping the city. And Jonah's like, no, I'm not doing it. I, I'm, I'm not going to do it. And uh, I think oftentimes we wonder, I wonder why the Lord, because it just says, in the, especially in Jonah chapter 1 there, he says the Lord told Jonah to go, and he just didn't. There was no really explanation for this. But I've, I've just, I've wondered, I'm sure you've wondered, well, why exactly didn't Jonah do what the Lord told him to do? Well, let's read here in Jonah chapter 3. Now, this is after Jonah had repented, and this says the Lord spoke to the, the fish and told him, to, hey, spit him out. So he spits him out. Now, here we find ourselves in Jonah chapter 3, verse 1. It says, now the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time, saying, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and preach to it the message that I tell you. So, same word. The word didn't change. Hey, I'm asking, this is, this is your second chance here. It says, so Jonah and Rose and went to Nineveh which is what every single one of us would have done after spending some time in the belly of a fish. He rose and went to Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. Now, Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, a three-day journey in the extent, and Jonah began to enter the city on the first day's walk. Then he cried out and said, Yet 40 days, Nineveh shall be overthrown. So he's telling them, Hey, 40 days, and you're out of here. Your wickedness, the Lord has seen your wickedness. You're not doing what you know you're supposed to be doing. You're out. Verse 5 says, So the people of Nineveh believed God. The people of Nineveh believe God. You know when a strong word comes, you know what our first responsibility is to do? Just recognize it. Recognize it as truth. Recognize it as the word of the Lord. And that's what happened here. They believe, okay, you know what? He's right. We've been acting like some goofballs. We've been doing some things we know we shouldn't be doing. And we actually believe we know he's God. And we believe uh, 40 days from now, we're probably not going to be here. So they believed God and he proclaimed a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least of them. So they all put it on. Then the word came to the king of Nineveh and he arose from his throne and laid aside his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, sackcloth and sat in ashes. And he caused it to be proclaimed and published throughout Nineveh by the decree of the king and his noble saying, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. So he said, we're, the, the kings are fasting, the people are fasting, the horses are fasting, the chickens are fasting, ain't nobody eating nothing right now. Do not let them eat or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and cry mightily to God. Yes, let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that's in his hands. And he says, who can tell? In other words, who knows if God will turn and relent and turn away from this fierce anger so that we may not perish. A hard word was spoken by the prophet. They heard the word of God. They recognized that it was true, and they began to repent. They immediately, the, the king, the whole country began to repent. This sounds a lot like what we've been talking about in Second Chronicles. If my people, who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and turn from their wicked ways. This is, this is it. This is a picture of what this could look like. They repent. They, they realize we've, we've messed up. We've got to... We've got to make some adjustments in our life. Verse 10 says, Then God saw their works, that they had turned from their evil way. And God relented from the disaster that he had said he would bring upon them. And he did not do it. It's in that last phrase. It's actually in this whole passage, but it's particularly in this last phrase that we actually see the, the goal of a, of a strong word from the Lord about a city. 
He says, this city has, is wicked. It's walked away from me, and I'm fixing to wipe it off the face of the earth. Strong word. But the goal was never to wipe it off, excuse me, the, the face of the earth. The goal was to see hearts softened, people repent, so that he could do exactly what he did right here. This word brought correction. It brought recognition of the, of, of the problem, repentance. It brought restoration, not judgment and destruction. This word that sounded so strong had a soft heart behind it, had a humble heart behind it, had a restoration message, had a hope message, had a faith message hidden inside there. How do we know this? Well, Jonah, Jonah actually knew God's track record. In fact, if you're wondering, why did Jonah, back to our point, why did Jonah, why did Jonah not do what the Lord told him to do the first time? Here's why, Jonah chapter four. This is after the people repented, God relented. There's no destruction. Everybody gets to live, and chickens can go back to Eden. Uh, chapter, four verse, uh, chapter 4, verse 1 says, But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he became very angry. So he prayed to the Lord and said, Ah, oh, Lord, was this not what I said when I was still in my country? He's like, I knew it. This is exactly what I told you. This is why I'm mad. This is exactly why I told you. Therefore, I fled previously to Tarshish, for I know. Why did he flee? Why did he not do what the Lord told him to do the first time? For I know that you are a gracious and a merciful God. Mind you, this is, this is pre-new covenant. This is pre-the the, the, the covenant of Jesus. This is pre-the better covenant that we have with Jesus. This is still the nature and the character of our God. He said, I know you're gracious and I know you're merciful. You're slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness. And you are one who relents from doing harm. You never want to bring destruction. You never want to hurt. You never want to harm. It says, therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And if you go on and read it, it's pretty much the biggest prophet tantrum you've ever seen in your life. Clearly someone who didn't get a good busting every now and then when he was a kid. If you don't know what a busting is, you're not from Texas. Um, He's having a tantrum. He literally flops on the ground, has himself a little tantrum. He's like, Lord, and it, go read it. It's actually funny. He's like, you know what? If you're not going to do what I prophesy, I just want to die. Pouts, goes outside the city. The Lord causes a, this, this plant to grow up, cover him in shade. Then he causes a worm to come eat the plant. Then a wind to blow. And the whole time he's just pouting. Still, now he's hot. He's like, if, it's, it's so hot now, I want to die even more. And if you're not going to do what my prophetic word says, I want to die even more. And the Lord's trying to teach him this lesson. In fact, the story goes on. Jonah actually never repents. I was telling someone today, I was like, I actually don't know. Jonah's never mentioned again. He literally spends the, I don't know what happened to, happened to him, but there's no record of him repenting. You see this this nature of the flesh, the nature of the flesh, the nature of the devil wants people to suffer when they do wrong. He wants punishment. But the nature of God was, no, I, I brought a hard word. I, I brought a strong word. I need prophets. I need people who will speak strong words so that those strong words hit hard hearts and soften them. That those strong words hit a stiff neck. The Bible talks about hard-hearted and stiff-necked people. That those hard words hit that stiff neck and softens it. The goal is not destruction. The goal is repentance and restoration and change. See this in Joel chapter 3. is another area where you talk, he talks about this in Joel chapter 3. Verse 9 says, proclaim this among the nations. Prepare for war. Wake up the mighty men. Tell all the men of war to draw near. Let them come up. Beat your plowshares into swords and your pruning hooks into spears. Let the weak say, I am strong. I'm going to talk to you about this for just a second because um, 
there's a principle right here that I don't want us to miss. Let the weak say, I am strong. Um, we got a strong word. I've sensed a strong word that the Lord's talking to this city, talking to us as a country, I even believe, about our pride. The, the prophets that we follow there, in fact, I'll, I'll even say you should follow Chris Vallotton from Bethel Church. One of the things that he talks about in, in one of his messages that was like the prophetic decree in this season uh, was humility is the way forward. Humility is the way forward. And so that's definitely been something that we've been, we've been leaning into. And so, uh, especially in this right now, I'm looking at the city, I'm looking at the country, I'm, I'm sensing that there's a stronghold of pride in this city. But uh, yesterday during prayer, staff prayer, we began to pray. This is where actually where this message came from. We began to pray over the city and by the Spirit of the Lord, knowing what God had, had alerted us to, knowing what God had, al- this alarm that God had sent off and said, there's this stronghold of pride in your city. The Lord reminded me that we, that the, the word was not to just show us, um, show us who we are and show us what our destiny was. And this is going to be your condition forever. No, it was to get us to engage and our, get us to engage our spiritual weapons that we have access to, to turn this thing. And all of a sudden I had that scripture come up in my spirit this year in Joel, let the weak say, I am strong. And all of a sudden I heard the Lord say, let the proud say, I am humble. Let the proud say, I'm humble. I love in this scripture, there's, this, there's so much revelation here. He says, let the weak say, I am strong. He didn't say, ignore the fact that you're weak or act like you're not weak. Ignoring a problem is not faith. Acknowledging that, hey, there's some weakness here. There's some pride here. That's not a lack of faith. It's actually a clarity. It's clarifying the target. It's clarifying the purpose. It's clarifying exactly what it is that we're trying to go after. It's identifying the area in our life that needs change, that, that God's saying, hey, this is not who I've called you to be. Let the weak say, I am strong. And in prayer, staff prayer, we, we, all of a sudden, I, that, that came up in my spirit, and we just began to declare over this city. This city, is not, this city is not bound by pride. This is a humble city full of humble people, full of humble church leaders, full of humble politicians, humble followers. And we just began to declare humility over this city, humility over leaders in this city, humility over our church, humility, humility, humility. Why? Because speaking the problem doesn't change the problem. So we can acknowledge, hey, there may be a stronghold of pride. But after a while, it's like, okay, we don't just need to talk about it all the time. Oh, this man, what a proud city. Can you believe? Uh, there, and just walk around as the pride police. Oh, yeah, that, that guy right there, that's pride too. And that's pride and that's pride. And next thing you know, you're just declaring pride over your city. What else does that mean you're declaring? The Bible says God resists the proud. Every time you say, oh, yeah, God resists that. He resists him. He's resisting me right now because I'm proud because I'm not even talking about the proud people. And it's talking the problem doesn't change the problem. Declaring by faith the solution changes the problem. Let the weak say, I am strong. Let the proud say, I am humble. We're a humble church. I'm a humble leader. I'm a humble father. I'm a humble husband. There's a church full of humble people listening to this message right now. There are humble politicians with, with answers filled with humility, with wise answers full of humility, trying to, to, to mend this city, trying to mend this state, trying to mend this country. We have to learn to not speak the problem, but to declare, declare the solution. Let the weak say, I am strong. Let the poor say, I am rich. That's a, there was a song that we used to sing. Uh, that, that, that's one of the things that reminded me of that this, this, during this when I was studying this message out. 
The first thing that people in Nineveh did is they believed God. When the hard word came, they recognized. The scripture in Joel, let the weak say. They, you have to acknowledge that you're weak. You have to acknowledge that the strong word from God is for you. And once you acknowledge it, you have to, and, and I'll just say this. Well, how do I know? How, how do I know? I just had some, a couple things because even if you're still at this point where just by faith you don't believe that this might be a word for you. I think sometimes natural things, uh, natural things help us identify, hey, this, this might be me. This might be something I need to work on. Let me just ask you, I'll just ask you a few questions. Um, how hard is it to change your mind? How hard is it to change your mind? In fact, let me ask you in a different way. When's the last time you changed your opinion on something significant? I'm not talking about when you went to a restaurant and said, hey, I want three enchiladas. Like, you know what? Scratch that. I want five enchiladas. No, I'm not talking about when you change your mind on how many enchiladas you're eating. I'm asking you, when's the last time that you had a, an opinion, a conviction, and this is what I'm standing on? And someone that you love, someone that you trust, someone that's been there through thick and thin that you've listened to before, that you've trusted before, that you've learned something from before, had a different opinion, had a different stance, had a different perspective. When's the last time that in that moment you said, you know what? I'm going to change my mind on that. We just read a scripture where God changed his mind. The, the creator of the heavens and the earth, he changed his mind about what he would do with some people. When's the last time you changed your mind? When's the last time you changed your opinion on something? That some, how hard is it to change your mind? How, how much oxygen must be spent to change your mind? What, why am I saying this? If, you ha, if, if it's impossible, if you're, if you're one of those people, and I'm being honest, this has been said about me, something I work on. If you're one of those people that people say, you know, once you've got your mind made up, once you've got your mind made up, you're not going to change. You know what they might as well be saying to you? You are full of pride. Once you have your mind made up, you are not going to change. You need to ask yourself, when's the last time someone could change my mind? Um, here's another way of saying that. When's the last time you apologized for something? How often do you apologize for something? How often are you the one, husbands and wives? Uh, years ago, I heard someone say this. It's a phenomenal, phenomenal marriage tactic. Uh, when they began to challenge each other with this when they got in a fight. Who could be the first one to say, will you forgive me? And we joked about, they joked about this, and my wife and I have tried this one too. And I'm telling you, there's, there's sometimes when you're in the middle of a fight and the other one like beats you to it, and you're like, hey, okay, you know what? Will you forgive me? It's like, nope. Nope, I have not said as, near as many cuss words as I've, I've got in my belt right now. I've got a few more I want to sling out before we really get spiritual on this thing. Uh, I am not, you cannot repent right now because I need to yell some more. I need to throw some stuff some more. Uh, but it's, 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 a, it's a practice, and who can be the first to humble themselves and repent? Who could be the first one to say, hey, I've made a mistake? Ask yourself the question. Husbands and wives, who's the one usually doing the repenting in the marriage? Who's the one usually doing the apologizing? Does one never apologize? Do you ever apologize? I'll, I'll give you another one. Have you ever, especially people with kids, have you ever apologized to your kids? Or are you too proud to say, no, I'm not, I'm not apologizing to one of my children. I'm the parent. They're the child. That's a problem. Can't tell you how many times I've had to apologize to my kids and say, hey, I reacted in anger. 
that was the flesh. That was not the spirit. That was not a good answer I gave you. And even if the answer was true, it was not done in the right heart. It wasn't done in the right tone of voice. I can't tell how many times that I have seen restoration and relationship built with my children because I humbled myself and apologized. When's the last time you apologized? Um, In conversations, how long can you be quiet before you have to speak? Here's another one. When you click on Instagram and Facebook, how long do you scroll before you start to type? <laughs> how long does it take for you to see something like, oh, no, I, I definitely got something to say about that. Oh, for sure got something to say about that. Actually, I'm going to be here all night. I got so much to say about everything. How, how long can you be quiet in conversation? How much time in conversation do you spend listening? How much time in conversation do you spend talking? Here's another one. And these are just ones I'm, I'm, I'm on. I didn't write any of this down. I'm trying to just hear what the Spirit of the Lord is saying. Uh, are you somebody that has a hair trigger? Are you someone that just, I mean, can fly off the handle that quick? Because let me say this about, about pride. Pride gets mad fast. Because pride knows exactly how everything should go. Pride knows exactly what it thinks, what this person should do, and it knows immediately. And it's never wrong. It knows immediately when something has happened that needs to be fixed, that needs to be corrected. How fast do you get mad? Um, Here's one. Do you have any unforgiveness in your life? Pride doesn't forgive. Pride says, nope, I'm, good. I, I'm the kind of person that would have never, ever, ever done what that person did. And so because of that, I could never forgive that person. I could never get back in relationship with that person because someone like me doesn't want to be around someone like that. You have just judged yourself better than someone else. So since you're better... And since you're so flawless, you have all of a sudden the power to decide whether that person gets back in your, your good graces. I was actually talking to one of my kids about this this week, and uh, we were discussing how to handle uh, they had felt like they had been wronged. And, and I said, hey, here's a, how do you, they were, we were trying to figure out how they were going to handle this situation. And I said, hey, here's a, here's a thought, and this whole thing could just go away if we just, why don't we just forgive them? Won't we just forgive them? Won't we just forgive and move on? And the, that particular individual, that particular child said, well, they didn't say I'm sorry. They you can't forgive someone that doesn't say you're sorry. <laughs> and what's funny is most of us believe that. Most of us actually, that's, that actually makes a lot more sense than forgiving just to forgive sake. Just to forgive because it's what our Jesus did who just gave forgiveness, who sowed forgiveness before repentance ever happened. It makes sense to the flesh. The Bible says there is a way that seems right to a man. It would seem right that someone should have to say, I'm sorry, before they get forgiveness. It's just not the way of the upside-down kingdom <laughs> that we live in. Uh, these, are just a, these are just a few things. What am I trying to do? I'm trying to get, if there is any pride in there, if, if there is any pride, if, if, you're, if, you're, if you're quick to speak, if you're not good being quiet in the crowd, if you're, if you're quick to anger, 
if you're, all, all the different things that we talk, if you're holding unforgiveness, uh, all, all these different things, if you don't ever apologize, why am I saying all this? I'm trying to get you to acknowledge that there could be some pride in there. This is what pride looks like. There could be some pride in there. Now, why would I want to sit there and continue to needle about, no, I, I need you to look deeper. I need you to not, let, let's check this area. Let's check, why would we want to harp on this thing about pride? Well, first of all, you have to understand, I'm not harping on anything, and neither is God. But when he brings pride to us and says, hey, there's pride in your life. When the Holy Spirit quickens by, by the word or whatever, and he quickens it, hey, oh, here's pride. This revelation of pride is an invitation to grace. When he says, hey, there's pride in your life, here's what he's saying. Hey, I resist the proud. I don't want anything to do with the proud people. You're, you're not feeling the connection with me that you're supposed to feel because you have pride in your life and I, don't, I, I resist pride, but I give more grace to the humble. So when God brings us pride and shows us pride, it's not just saying, this is why I ain't talking to you no more. No, it's saying, hey, I need you to get this out because I've got grace that you've never seen before that I want to give you. The revelation of pride is an invitation to grace. It's an invitation to a closer relationship with God, a more genuine relationship with God, a more personal relationship with God. Access to heaven on earth in areas that you've never had access to earth because there's new grace coming into your life because you've humbled yourself. I believe with all of my heart, that's what's happening in this season. I've had a lot of people assume they know my stance about a lot of things. They assume they know my stance about masks or they assume they know my stance about uh, Black Lives Matter or this. There's a lot of assumptions being made right now about how I feel about a lot of things. And I'm just going to tell you, most of you probably don't have a clue what my opinions are on this. Because in this season, I'm trying to say, hey, let's let's pull back on our opinions. Let's humble ourselves and posture our heart. Let's posture our heart to humility. Because right now, I don't want to just get it right. I want to get grace. I'm less concerned about getting it right. That, that, that is a, I feel like that's a strong word right now for us as a church. Stop being concerned with what's right and wrong. Stop being concerned about that. What the government's doing or not doing, and this is what this means. And this. Stop. Trying to get it right will not get you what you want. But humbling yourself will get you the grace and that'll give you more than you've ever deserved, more than you've ever wanted. We're after that grace. That's what we're after. So again, believe the prophet, so shall you prosper. Humility is the way forward. Thanks for tuning in today. You can stay connected with Renew Life Church by following us on Facebook or Instagram, or by visiting our website at www.renewlifechurch.com. We love you and hope you feel encouraged from this message today.